This past week, um, Sarah and I, we were reflecting on, uh, on some of our family history. Um, and one of the things I was uh, speaking to, to Sarah, my wife, about was, uh, was my grandma. My grandma, she's passed away now, but she was the only grandparent I, I ever met. And my grandma, um, uh, one of the, the, the really fond memories I have of her is every Christmas, we would go around her house on, uh, on Christmas night and have food at, at her place. Uh, it was always the same routine. Christmas lunch was with my parents and Christmas dinner was at grandma's house. It was cold meats and eggs and salads. But, uh, but the thing I always really loved about grandma's house was we would finish it with trifle. We had trifle every single Christmas and there is no one ever who has been able to nail trifle like my uh, like my grandma um, but one of the things that we spent uh, time doing as well after we had our delicious trifle on uh, on a Christmas night um, often we would sit down and we would watch the Queen's Christmas speech that she would uh, that she would give um, and there was one distinct memory I have of my grandma, and it was something that I just never really understood, uh, partly because of my age and, uh, and nationality as well. But, um, but whenever the song, um, it's, I think it's God Save the Queen, would come on with the, uh, with the Queen's speech, grandma would always stand to her feet and she would uh, put her hand on, on her heart. This was just part of her uh, tradition that she um, would do. Does anyone else do this when they hear the, that song? No, I don't see any, any nods at the moment from, from people. So, no. Oh, Shirley, you... Oh, Narell does. Okay, wonderful. I'm not going to try and sing it. I don't know the words to it personally. So, but it was just one of these moments that I had with my with my grandma, where it was just really evident to me that there was a uh, a different foundation and some different understandings of, of how things are done um, between uh, my understanding and my grandma's understanding. There was another point. I had another one of these sorts of moments. Um, a little bit later on in my life, uh, which was when I was about 16 or 17 years old, and I had the opportunity to go to Kenya on a, uh, on a mission trip. And when I went to Kenya, uh, there was a lot of things that were fairly eye-opening when I was there. Uh, but one of the things that was very eye-opening was um, when you go into the, into the markets, uh, bartering is how you do trade. You don't just have a listed price and then, you, uh, and then you give whatever the price is. You haggle and you try and get the price down to the lowest, um, the lowest amount that you possibly can. I was terrible at this, by the way. I just wanted a price to be listed and then, uh, and then go, go forward with that. Now, now, both of these times for me, both of these experiences I had as a younger person were moments where something clicked in my understanding um, of the world. There were both times where, in different ways, I realised that there are some deep, ingrained ways that people view the world and view themselves that are very, very different from my own understanding of the world. Now, I'm not talking about just... Uh, different personality types and minor differences that people may have with one another. Um, but both of these moments uh, showed me times where people had some deep ingrained 
um, ways that they viewed the world that were a little bit different to mine. Um, we all have this. We all have our own understandings and outlooks of the world that are shaped by certain things. It's shaped by our experiences and by our background, by our cultural background, our ethnic background, our socioeconomic background, our generational background. All of these things play a part in who we are and how we view the world around us and how we view ourselves. And when you put people from all of these different backgrounds together, when you put people together of different cultural, ethnic, socioeconomic and generational backgrounds, what you're left with is a diverse community. And this is what we're going to be speaking about in our time together. It's already been mentioned a couple of times. Uh, just this morning we're speaking about being a diverse community. Thanks, Reuben. Over the past two weeks, we've been spending some time looking at the values of our church. The, the way that we landed at this point, we sought to know the heart of our church at the end of last year. And as we sought to know the heart of our church, there were five clear values that became apparent um, through our church. These values of family, authenticity, diversity, grace, and advancements. Uh, over the past two weeks, we've spent time speaking about what it means to be a family, a church that values family. We also spoke last week about what it means to be a church that values authenticity with one another. And today, what we're going to be speaking about is diversity. We don't all look the same and we celebrate that. We see beauty in being united and loving in our diversity. Now, diversity is something that this church has valued for, um, for a really long time. When I first um, was having conversations with the pastoral search team about coming on board here uh, at the church. One of the, the things I asked them to put together, and I asked the staff team to do the same, was to put together a list of tacit values. So what are the things that the church values and the things that happen a bit behind the scenes that people don't always even see or recognize? What are some of the unspoken, felt things uh, about the church here at Brackenridge. And diversity was, uh, was one of the things that came out strongly when I asked the team to, uh, to write down um, what the, the church is, uh, is all about. Now, when I first came here and I, and I understood that this was a, a church that values diversity, I needed to uh, contemplate what that actually means. What does it mean that we are a diverse church? Is that diverse by, um, by ethnicities or by ages or by um, experiences or by backgrounds? What does that mean that we are a diverse church? And as I spent more time here, I realized that there is a diversity of many of these things. There is a diversity of ages, cultures, socioeconomic stages, political views, and theological backgrounds. Even this past week, um, a clear example of being a diverse church age-wise, we had our senior service on Wednesday. At our senior service, I was the youngest person in the room. And then on Friday night, I hung around for, uh, for kids club and then youth group. And at youth group, I was the oldest person in the room. This wonderful thing about being a church who values diversity, this is something that was very distinct uh, in the early church as well. Timothy Keller, 
who's a pastor from, from New York, he suggests that there were four different ethical commitments that made the New Testament church distinct from the world around them. So uh, many of us would have heard the phrase that the, um, that the New Testament church stood out from the culture around them, but Timothy Keller, he suggests that there were four different things that made this true. And this was, um, these distinctives from the rest of the world was the early church's commitment to a new view of forgiveness. So the early church was a group that forgave people who had wronged them. They had a new view of life. So they valued human life. They had a new view of sexuality Um, If you know anything about Greek history, there was uh, some fairly immoral um, understandings about sexuality. And the other commitment that the early church had was a new view on diversity. Now, although this new ethical um, commitment to diversity is never explicitly stated within the New New, um, Testament, it is... Fairly, um, fairly commonly implied and assumed that this should be the case. Because in Acts 2, we see the birth of the church at Pentecost. Now, there's several things that happen um, at the birth of the church at, uh, at Pentecost. Often we focus on the Spirit coming upon the believers like tongues of fire, or we might focus on Peter's sermon that he preaches, or we may focus on the 3,000 people who... Uh, who come and join the church that day. But before a lot of this happens, there is a fairly long passage in Acts 2, verses 5 to 12, that speaks about the diversity of the people who were there at Pentecost on that day. Um, Acts 2, verses 5 to 12. Just going to read this really quickly. <clears throat> now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Then later on at verse 41, Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 from all of these different nations, from all of these different walks of life and backgrounds, were added to their number that day. And so at the very birth of the church, when the church is launched and founded, there are people from all different ethnicities, cultures, and languages that are brought in to the kingdom of God. So God's intention, it's pretty clear right here, that God's intention from the start of the church was that it would be a diverse church. God's intention from the start of the church was that it would be a diverse church. This is something that you cannot separate from the Christian faith. In ancient times and in, um, and in most of the, the world today, um, the, uh, the way that 
um, religion works for, for a lot of cultures is that you are born into a religion, and then that is the religion that you stay with uh, for the rest of your life. Your race and your culture um, are tied to your religion. And this is so inherent with many cultures um, that if you leave the religion that you are born into, then you face persecution, you may face uh, death, you may face being ostracized from your community that you have been part of for your whole life. And similarly, in a similar way, um, uh, throughout uh, much of history, um, yes, you were born into a religion, but for much of history, you're also born into a certain class within that culture, a social class which impacted who you could associate with. And suddenly, at this point, with the birth of the church, something shifts. These people who had maybe been bo- uh, born into a certain religion or set of beliefs, suddenly these people are brought into community with one another. This means that everyone, irrelevant of background, can know that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is uh, is Lord of their life. This is at the very core of our faith and understanding of, uh, of Jesus, that every person individually is able to have a personal relationship with Jesus, irrelevant of what their background is. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So you're not born into Christianity, you are not um, a Christian by your social status within society, it is faith in Jesus, personal faith in Jesus, um, which uh, gives us relationship with God. And that means that if it is a personal relationship with Jesus, then there should be people from all different walks of life who become followers of Jesus. The church should be made up of a diverse group of people. And there are two passages in the New Testament uh, written by Paul. Um, They're very similar passages that we're going to be looking at today um, that reveal um, a a little bit of the, the diversity that um, that Paul was, was aiming to have in the church. So if you have your Bibles, a um, couple of places to turn your Bibles to. There's two different, chapter, uh, two different uh, passages. There's 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 14, and Galatians 3, verses um, 26 to 29. Just keep your finger uh, in the other passage as we, uh, as we have a look at these two passages. They're very, very similar, although their context is, uh, is quite different. I'm going to read them um, separately uh, initially. So 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 14. It says, So just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts from one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Just prior to um, this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is speaking about the diversity of spiritual gifts within the church. We're not all gifted the same way. There's multiple spiritual gifts. But then his language 
um, changes. He's still speaking towards diversity, but a different type of diversity. He speaks to the diversity of race. So it doesn't matter that whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. And he also speaks into socioeconomic status. So it doesn't matter whether you are slave or free. In our modern language, we might say employer or employee. I don't know if we all want to be, if we want to think of ourselves as masters if we're employers or slaves if we're employees, but maybe we can just think of it in those those sort of terms. Um, Immediately following this, he speaks to um, uh, all of these groups saying that they need one another. Um, He also speaks to their unity with one another. The following passage, Galatians 3, 26 to 29, which is a very similar passage. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there uh, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Everything with this passage in Galatians 3 that's been, uh, everything preceding this, has been to reach uh, this point. Um, His... Uh, the way that he has been setting this up has been essentially to say that it is through personal faith with Jesus that you have relationship with God. It's not based on your cultural constructs or being born into a certain group. It is relationship with God through faith. And now, um, because faith in Jesus is not based on culture or socioeconomic status or gender, faith in Jesus allows you to be part of a diverse family. So both of these passages, they pick up on um, on very similar ideas, and I just want to draw out three things that I think we can see are spoken about um, in, uh, in regards to diversity from these passages and from elsewhere in Scripture as well. Um, we're not drawing out everything within both of these passages. There is a lot in there, um, so we're not going to be speaking about everything, but particularly, what does diversity display in regards to the rest of the world um, we see here in these passages? And the first thing that we see is that diversity displays Christ. This is the most important thing that we see through, um, through either of these. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as a body, through, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Galatians 3, 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized, who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This is the most important thing that Paul is saying uh, here in this passage. That diversity, this diversity he's speaking about, displays Christ. The church is made up of all different kinds of people and it displays Jesus. The way that this displays Christ is because people from all different walks of life are followers of Jesus. You're not born into a religion. We are born again through faith in Jesus into a relationship with Christ. So that's the first thing. Diversity displays Christ. The second thing is diversity displays, um, diversity displays unity. In the early church, um, the, the thing that was so different 
about the early church from any community during that time is the fact that you had slaves worshipping with their masters, you had um, men and women worshipping next to one another, you had people from all these different nations and groups worshipping in the same room. Now, although this is fairly... um, Uh, fairly common for us in this room, culturally that was something unheard of, to see all these different groups worshipping together. And this causes messiness. All throughout the New Testament, we see Paul and others addressing the Um, the the New Testament church to stay unified in the midst of their diversity. Their messiness and all these different groups coming together didn't happen easily. There was a conflict that happened um, as people brought their cultural presuppositions to the the table. Um, I think this is um, something that has the the potential of of happening within, within any church. This has the, the potential of happening within, uh, within our churches uh, as well. And yet the call of the apostles and the call of Jesus throughout his ministry was that the church would be unified. In the midst of inviting all these people with their different backgrounds together, the church would remain a unified group. And I genuinely believe that a diverse group of people who can show love for one another and who can display unity with each other, not uniformity, but unity. Um, This is something that stands out to the rest of our world today. In the rest of our our world, um, often uh, differences from other people are frowned upon. It can sometimes be a difficult thing to... Uh, to bring uh, your understanding of things to the, to the table. And yet, here at our church, here as a diverse group of people, our goal is to be united with one another in love. Even if at times we disagree and even if at times we bring our understandings to the table, the church can be a perfect example of what it means to have unity in love. So that's the second thing. Diversity displays unity. And the third thing, diversity displays eternity. Diversity displays Christ. Diversity displays unity. And diversity displays eternity. From the moment that the church was born and the Spirit of God came upon the believers, people from every background and group were invited to be part of um, God's kingdom. And so now, for people from every background and group are included in those who will be worshipping Jesus when he, comes, um, when he comes again. And what I want to do, um, just before we, we finish our time together, I want to read us um, a passage of, um, of what the church is going to look like at the end of all things. So, team, do you just want to come up right now? Deb, if you want to, want to play, that would, be, that would be great. And what I just want to do is, as I read this passage, I'm just going to invite you all to close your eyes where you are and to picture this image that is spoken about here in Revelation um, chapter 7. This is the end goal of, of the church. 
It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. First words of that. As he looked, there was a multiple truth that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of God. What a beautiful picture of what eternity is going to look like. People from everywhere. Worshipping Jesus together. And that is, the, um, that is what a, a diverse church is able to display to the rest of the, the world. What eternity is going to look like. God's intention from the start of the church would be a diverse church. Because God's vision for the end of the church would be that it would be made up of people from every cultural background, ethnic background, socioeconomic background and generational background. And our church here, we do value diversity. We don't all look the same and we celebrate that. We see beauty in being united and loving in our, uh, in our diversity. It's something that our church has valued for, uh, for a long time and we will continue to value into the future. And so as a church, my final, final thing I can say, as a church values, um, that values diversity, let us also be a church that embraces diversity. Um, it's messy at times, uh, but let's embrace it as we see people from all different backgrounds come into this place to worship Jesus together. And so, King Jesus, we do pray that we will continue to grow um, in this and we will celebrate this as well. Um, we'll celebrate our, our differences from, from one another. Um, and that our love for one another will be on display for, um, for the world to see. In the midst of our diversity, King Jesus, help us to be a, a group of people who display Christ through this, 
who display unity and display um, diversity. And as we worship right now, as we sing to you, give us a glimpse of what that vision of heaven will, will be like. In Jesus' name, amen.